Welcome to Film Fight Club, the show where we don't talk about film, we fight about film. I'm Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello. Now we've got a big show planned. We're talking the film of the week, Hitman's Bodyguard. We are talking about Killing Ground, Ali's Wedding. A lot of films to review. Yeah, but first of all, where was that theme from? It feels like I haven't heard that. Gosh, which while. show is this from? It's the Fight Club theme, you know, the film we don't talk about. Oh, okay, all right. The film theme. I guess we should do a, an episode of Film Fight Club sometime where we actually talk about Fight Club <laughs> and then not fight about it. That would be too meta. Yeah. It's the most meta of all our episodes. Tyler Durden wins. The worst good movie, Fight Club. <laughs> I, just I like soaps. You know, we did a David Fincher episode. We haven't done any David Fincher. Yeah, well, he, David Fincher's been, I guess, hibernating. He has. It's gone, girl. Oh, David Fincher, if you're listening, make another movie. We love you. Because he's gone. He's doing World War Z, too. That's true. Yes. Strange choice. You know, I'm, I'm excited. David yeah, Fincher. yeah. He'll, he'll he's do a well. strange person, guys. Yeah, that's true. He is. So we will be talking about David Fincher more and more in coming weeks in Hitman's Bodyguard shortly. But first, the Sydney Latin American Film Festival is coming up in Sydney from the 7th to the 11th of September. And we have a festival programmer to talk about this year's festival. Giselle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Giselle, uh, this year's festival, uh, it's always a lot of fun, but this year you have a lot of different countries represented. Can you tell us about some of the places that will have films playing in this festival? Sure. So one of the targets of this year was to take you to places that you probably wouldn't go. So I have three highlights, and one is, um, one is in Providence, which is an island between Nicaragua and Colombia. It does officially belong to Colombia, uh, and it's called Bad Lucky Goat, so you get a bit of the islander feel. There's a great feature from Dominican Republic, which is Samba, and you don't normally get to see many features from Dominican Republic, and it's in Santo Domingo, so you get the streets, a um, bit of the beach, and it's a very different story as well. And another place that you probably would never have seen before, it's called El Amparo, which is in the border of Venezuela and Colombia, and it's a small fisherman town, and it's a tiny, tiny town where certain things happen uh, a little bit ago, and they're pretty powerful in terms of human rights and, and the story that these fish have to tell you yeah, Venezuela Colombia co-production. Fantastic. And summer, it's got quite an interesting premise, involves street fighting and, yeah, someone who's spent quite a bit of time um, away from his home. Of course. Um, so that film is actually co-produced by um, two directors, a female director and a male director, and it's got an Italian producer, so it's all kind of all-rounder, very diverse, like we, what we want to portray. And it's a story of Cisco, who spends 10 years in the States in a prison, as a lot of people go migrate to look for a better life, and some in prison, come back empty-handed and with nothing to look forward to. Um, his mom is a bit ill. Um, he's got a son that doesn't really think he's his dad. And then he finds himself as an outsider in his own country, hard to find a job, how to fit in. Um, so then he finds this man who teaches him that maybe boxing is the way to go. And that's where the story starts. It's beautifully shot. As I said, there's a lot of scenes where he trains on the beach and there's a lot of diversity in terms of the characters that are being portrayed. And once again, Santo Domingo is not one of those places that you normally see in Latin American films. Fantastic. One of the films that I've been most excited about is this biopic about the greatest Brazilian singer of all time. Now... It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and it's full of drama and a tragedy as well. Could you just tell us more about the film and the context of it? Sure. So Ellis, 
that's the name of, of the singer. She's a 1950s, very well-known Brazilian singer. And that's a time of a bit of the social protest in Brazil with um, Caetano and Gilberto Gil. So it's a time of the dictatorship. And it, uh, music was a way to protest. But perhaps her call to frame is that she's got almost like an anthem of Brazilian music. And she has one of those... Um, stories that she goes, she was very successful um, in her professional life, but not such great in her personal life. And the music is absolutely stunning and fascinating. And I think most people that go to a film will recognize her lyrics and will sing along. It's just really powerful. And it takes us back to that time of beautiful uh, music in Brazil. Wonderful, wonderful. And of course, as every year, you have the opening night fiesta. Can you tell us a little bit about this year's party, but also the film that you've got to launch this year's festival? Yeah, On the Rooftop is a Cuban film by Patricia Ramos. It's the first time we're actually opening with a female filmmaker, so we're very excited about that. And so is Patricia. And this is a story uh, based on the rooftop of um, La Habana, and you can actually see how it looks. From the rooftop, so you see all these terraces, how people live, and it's a story of three young characters and about their hopes, their lives in modern-day Havana. How is it to be a young person in Havana these days? Great music, very nice score, um, lots of sweet humor, and it's actually going to be presented with a little short that was screened at Cannes by Roberto Plata, and it's a little manifesto, and it's quite a quirky take on how we make films these days. Talking about uh, shorts, uh, I'm a short film tragic, so could you tell us a bit about the short films that are going to be screening with the program? Because I think between all the features and the big films, the short films kind of get lost sometimes. Oh, I know. It's a real shame because I love short films. and Actually, that's my greatest passion. And this year, we invited schools of um, film schools to send us their kind of their best um, student projects. So we ended up with seven shorts from Brazil, Venezuela, um, Colombia, Mexico, and I'm missing one, Argentina, of course. <laughs> and so these seven films are quite diverse from, as I said, Little Manifesto, which is from Argentina, that was um, world premiere in Cannes, same Empty Outside, uh, which is from Brazil, also at Cannes. And then we have two great Venezuelan shorts that um, touch a little bit about human rights, too. They're very powerful. Um, then we have the Colombian film, which, interesting enough, is called Punta Cana, which is a place in the Dominican Republic, and, of course, it screens with the Dominican feature. And what's interesting about this is this is the future of Latin American cinema because they're all students or recent graduates. Ah, I forgot one. The Cuban film called Mata Perros. And what's interesting about that is that it's a, um, a short documentary, and it's based on a little book that this kid used to have when he was growing up in Cuba. And it kind of, it was the things that he wanted to try or he wanted to have, you know, like little pieces of gum or sweets. And he will keep them all in this scrapbook. And then he comes back to Lavana as an adult and reveals how it was to grow up in Lavana in those days when, you know, they were really isolated. And this book has actually traveled to Europe and different places, and it's kind of a way to into the, look into the past of Cuba of those days and how things have changed since then. Sounds fantastic. Okay, I see that this year it's not just showing in the inner city, but you're taking the Festival West as well with some screenings at the Casula Powerhouse? Yes. So what will be playing we, there? Uh, we're going to see two films. We're going to see an Argentinian film called Koblik and On the Rooftop, which is our opening night film. So Koblik is uh, played by Darin, who's a very well-known South American actor. And it's about the story of this pilot who was part of the dictatorship. So he has a bit of a dark past, and he goes to this 
town in the middle of nowhere. Again, a really small, tiny place to kind of run away from that. And of course, the past always comes back to haunt us. And that's where it all starts. Okay, interesting. Fantastic. And speaking of your festival venues, you also uh, launched the Addison Road Picture House with a pre-Sydney Latin American Film Festival screening a few weeks ago. I was there. It's quite an amazing venue. Um, how was it to launch the uh, festival there? And um, do you have plans to do more events, hopefully, in the future at this quite new and quite interesting venue? I'm glad you enjoyed the venue. I think we do think it's terrific, of course, in a very subjective and biased way. And I think this is a way for community to get together. So obviously we want to make the most out of this space. and We want to invite the community to be part of it. So it's not only us screening, but other people are invited to use the space for screening, for arts, for different genres and to combine things and just for all of us to get together. So hopefully more festivals will come on board. Hopefully more people will come on board, maybe more young filmmakers, the people who just want to show their work. So we are looking forward to having um, a series of events throughout the year in the Picture House. So speaking of community, what? how do you feel about the role that film festivals have to play in bridging a gap between communities and bringing the Latin American culture to the wider community? Well, I think that one of the things about the festival is that makes us so different is that we're, we're now a non-for-profit organization, but we also have a strong community focus and we... Part of our profits also go to the, our community support program, which we call um, CSB, which means that um, grassroots projects in Latin America benefit from the work that we do here. So for us, community is really about community both here and overseas. So, and it's, I think we use film as an excuse also to bring stories that normally you wouldn't see. So our content has a lot of social um, elements to it. And in a way, it presents stories that are important, such as land rights, such as um, human rights abuse, that we think are important themes. But we also want to bring the community together via music, via food, via other forms, uh, having artists playing our opening night, having artists playing our closing night. So um, we just hope that people engage. We hope that they learn about where the funds go to, that they're supporting organizations overseas and people in need. So I think it comes has different um, layers, like a bit of an onion with different layers that where the community fits in. That's true. What really fascinates me is the fact what you mentioned initially was that uh, the program has films from regions which are very underrepresented throughout the world in terms of cinema. What does the bringing these films to the wider community help in achieving? Because I think these are stories that otherwise would not be told. You're right, and I think this, there's two sides of it. First of all, it's showing different characters. Like I think we are so diverse in terms of Latin America, not only in terms of culture. Like we, even though we're a continent, we have different cultures in within. We have different races, so we have you know indigenous, Latinos, Black, Caucasians, and this represents the diversity and also in terms of the diversity of languages that we speak. So it's not only Spanish. This year we have Creole, uh, we have indigenous languages, we have Portuguese. And why it's important is that we have this idea of the stereotype of how Latin America is. And sometimes when you see cinema and you see these places, you think that there's are places that you know or picture were in Latin America. And I, I think one of the best examples of that is Bad Lucky Goat. Once you, you watch this film, you're like, oh, but this is not Latin America. But, but it is. It is the Caribbean. That, that's who we are. It's part of who we are. It's just that it's less seen in cinema. So I think it's... I hope the audiences enjoy that. I hope that audiences enjoy that sneak peek into other lives, into other cultures within Latin America, other languages, and, and enjoy these other sceneries that you hardly get to see in the cinema because people just don't go to these places to film, to 
few films. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Bad Lucky Goat is, of course, playing as the closing night film on September 11th. The festival will play from the 7th through the 11th of September at Dendy Opera Keys and, as Chris mentioned, at the Kazula Powerhouse. Giselle, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back talking about Hitman's Bodyguard. Stay tuned. And that was John Parr with the legendary man in motion from St. Elmo's Fire. Ah, oh, it brings back memories. Yes. Bad uh, memories, bad memories, yeah. Glenn sure. chose this song. <laughs> Which is very obvious. Me and Glenn, yes, indeed. Me and Glenn had a bet over who gets to decide the intro music for the Hitman's Bodyguard based on how many times Samuel L. Jackson would say a word that rhymes with Smother trucker. <laughs> we, 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 can't say, we can't say this word yeah. in there, but I, th- I think you know what it is. Yeah, it's Sam Jackson. So, and uh, I severely underestimated okay, no, this number. I, I have to guess, get, you know, yep. wait, so he did use that word. word. He used quite the a lot. word a lot. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. Okay. Yep. More than snakes on a plane? Oh, oh that's a yeah. Tough call. Yes, yes, he did. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. More than so, uh, are, we, are we talking three figures? No, yeah, no. Okay. It's, All right. I'll, I'll make a random, random guess. Sixty-three. Sixty-three. Oh, you were you're still a little bit over. I had eight. Chris had four. It was fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> that okay. wasn't included. It Fifteen is still quite a lot for a character that isn't on screen for a good amount of the movie. That is true. Like, that is true. I was like, maybe he just has no dialogue apart from that. Well, that was that was said a lot. There were other characters using it too, but. Yeah. Speaking of, Samuel Jackson was the only person in this film. There was Ryan Reynolds, who played the titular character, the bodyguard, tasked with defending Samuel L. Jackson, the hitman. And they had a very big explosions budget. Chris, need I say more about this? Plot? Yeah, I would say it actually featured Ryan Reynolds as Ryan Reynolds. And it featured Samuel L. Jackson as Samuel L. Jackson. It's basically a vehicle for these two actors to play up their recent shtick. Um, yeah. R- Ryan, but, but, I mean, yeah. defending Ryan Reynolds, he hasn't got a chance to play Ryan Reynolds until Deadpool. Yeah. I think he's just been trying to play this soppy-ass, you know, male romantic lead. In this I'm movie, sorry, the proposal with Salma, you know, with yeah, Sandra Bullock. Salma Hayek's in this movie. <laughs> in this <laughs> movie, he's indistinguishable from Deadpool for a good yeah. amount of the film, except he's a little bit more emotional later on than Deadpool would yeah, it's be. Bas- That's basically it's, it's basically Deadpool is very emotional, guys. What are you talking about? It's basically Deadpool 1.5. I mean, there's a few funny sequences, and then there's these really totally inconsistent scenes where he's talking, and all the stuff is going down behind him. There's a scene where he literally flies through a windshield and just gets up and starts making wisecracks. Yeah, I found this film um, an odd one. For the first half, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, I felt like it was tonally all over the place. Um, it, it, you know, th- there's this very violent action movie setup that clashes a little bit too hard against the buddy action comedy thing that's going on. Um, so you're you're going from Deadpool type wisecracks to like watching a scene of someone's whole family getting shot in front of his eyes. And I just couldn't vibe with this movie until about halfway through when the focus shifts entirely onto our two leads and I started to have fun with it. Um, 
it's you know it it's it's fun trash basically. They they have a lot of charisma. Sam Jackson has an amazing face, amazing facial expressions. He swears is, a lot. Is, is that what your you know, sort of takeaway from Sam Jackson? He's got an amazing face. But actually, for someone who's sixty eight years old, I guess he does it is have quite an amazing, amazing face, face. Right? Good, good for him. Like sixty eight, he's still leading an actually really fun action movie. I mean, look, this film doesn't make any pretense of trying to be something great. Yes, it's set in the Hague and it's about war crimes, but it's not trying to be this deep existential thriller. It's just trying to blow a lot of stuff up, including whole parts of Amsterdam where I used to live. I saw my old cafe get wrecked by, it was either a car or a boat, I don't remember. For me, it felt like they tried to merge the best of Kingsman with Little Weapon. Mm. And I didn't think that was something I needed to see. But now that I've seen it, I'm not totally against the idea of doing more of it. Because, look, it actually is quite consistent in its own tonal point of view. I think if that's something that I complain about movies, that they try to do be too many movies in one movie. This actually wasn't trying to do that. I think it's it's interesting you say that because I definitely felt like I was watching a bunch of different movies meshed together. Whoa! At some point. We finally yeah, have a yeah, fight on Film Fight Club yeah. again. Some of the violence in this movie, to expand on what I was saying earlier, feels like it's taken from a much different film because it's a lot. Some of the scenes in here are as intense as you know what we saw in a few weeks ago in Atomic Blonde. Um, there's an action sequence towards the end that seems very inspired by The Raid 2, which is a very full-on violent action movie. And to, to me, though it was well-directed, enjoyable to watch, that was pulling me out of the comedy. And I felt like the answer to this that the film's producers had come up with is to layer the most violent action scenes oh, with goofy music. So they take a scene, a really... Uh, a scene that's so intense that it's pushing the movie possibly away from being a comedy for a lot of audiences and to keep the film tonally on track they'll layer over like some 50s hillbilly rock over you know a guy getting strangled slowly with a chain and, felt- and it's just like it doesn't quite match. It didn't work. And it was actually eerily similar to that scene from The Raid. And just a few moments earlier, yeah, we'd eerily seen similar. him, like someone shove a bazooka in his face. So yeah. all the stuff that belongs in some slapstick, crazy action, action 80s yeah, it comedy. Goes from, yeah, it goes from, from yeah. crazy, dumb, just things blowing up to like really rough, rough, hand-to-hand, close-up, intense violence. And I honestly think they probably just shut this stuff, then got to the editing and were like... What do we do with this? And that's why there's like Spider Bait, Black Betty, and such. Oh, yeah. But also, also at the same time, I'm not so sure that there needs to be any different kind of movie. Maybe this is the evolution of that buddy cop or you know buddy comedy where you they need to be a bit more serious and let's let's slapstick where the stakes need to be higher. And yet, I think I was more sensitized to the violence because of that kind of thing. Like you said, it did feel jarring, and I think it's supposed to feel like that. I think a lot of movies play it down, and I, this didn't do that. I, I think Reynolds was gearing up for Deadpool too. honestly. Oh, uh, big time. I think he'll... He... Oh, I, I don't care. I think Ryan Reynolds is just loves to be Ryan Reynolds now. Ryan, yeah, he's had a lot of um, bombs. He's he's sort of was built up to be a big action movie lead, and it didn't work, and then suddenly it's worked again. If I were him, I would keep milking the Deadpool thing too. Yeah. But um, going back to what we were saying about the violence in this movie, there's one point where it nails the mix of like brutality and comedy. And yeah, the best scene in the film for me, which is a f- flashback to how Samuel L. Jackson, who is this meant to be um, vicious, hardcore um, hitman guy, met his wife. And it's hilarious. Oh, that was great. Yeah, mix of, you know, um, cheesy 
over-the-top romanticism and over-the-top violence. Yeah, but and the thing on that, I mean, that introduced us to Selma Hayek, who was a great actress in the film, but one of the many who were, I think, a little bit underutilized, Elodie Young, who is amazing in the Defenders series as um, Electra, is not in this film for very much, for very long at all. Hmm. Actually, going back to Chris's point about Sam Jackson meeting his wife and Selma Hayek's introduction, that reminded me of The Other Guys and the introduction of uh, Eva Mendes in that movie. And I was like, oh my God, this is such that Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg dynamic coming through. But yeah, still, in- I probably enjoyed that movie more than this one. Yeah, this, this movie is reminiscent of a lot of movies. <laughs> it's not a very original film. I just contradicted okay. myself with this you know, it's, hot take. It's God. okay. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned is Gary Oldman, who plays this war criminal who's oh, right. established at the very beginning as the baddest of the bad, but um, as if they wanted to make it more clear, they gave him like scars, some random mm. reason. Suddenly he's disfigured. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. From, from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy to the Hitman Bodyguard. Some how, of, how have the mighty fallen? Some of the uh, the things he he his character pulls off in this film are so funny in the way that they stretch credulity. You know, I mean, action movies, we expect to push reality but anyone I mean, who knows anything about international law is going to be <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, <laughs> a little I, I, bit thrown I, by the depiction of the hog and this one guy's power my, my half-hearted law degree was crying yes a bit of background here i actually used to live in the hague and i actually have been to a lot of these actual trials and i can tell you a lot of my old friends who live there still are just gonna be i think I might get a bit of a chuckle out of this just to see how crazily it is depicted yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. I'm it's a it's not a movie that has much to do with reality. But, but at the same time, do the careers of Ron Reynolds and Sam Jackson have anything to do with reality at this point? They are basically, <laughs> you know, above this movie making business. They are in themselves brands. One more thing, this is such a guysy movie. Oh yeah. Right. Oh. It's one hundred percent about um guys, um violence. Yeah. We have to get back it, it, our, our women. It's basically like Dude Bro 2.0, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's yep. such a Dude Bro type, <laughs> Sorry, sorry type we movie. use that term. So, so Dude Bro 2.0, a.k.a. The Hitman's Bodyguard, <laughs> is in cinemas on Thursday. We'll be back talking about two very different films, Killing Ground and Ali's Wedding. Stay tuned. And we are back on Film Fight Club. Now, Virat, what, what was that song? That was Mera Juta Hai Japani by the famed lyricist Shailendra. And that actually was a song that's been used a lot in uh, commercial Hollywood cinema. That was used in Gravity. That was also used in Deadpool because we've been talking Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson. That was the song played in Dupinder's Taxi as well. And I'll be talking about that because... I wanted to pay homage to one of the greatest lyricists of Bollywood cinema. His birth anniversary is today. So, very happy birthday to him. And he died at a very young age of 43, but he left us with some memorable songs. Can we expect some more singing and impersonations for you in the coming weeks? For oh, definitely. Especially if we're going to do this. This is going to be a thing now. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, yes, we are back. And we have a couple of quick films to review. One is Killing Ground, which is a national release. Now, I caught this uh, premiere. Two Australian films, actually. 
Yes, to Australian films. Um, yes, we do represent our cinema sometimes. <laughs> Not many times, but sometimes. Times, yes, we do. Damn straight. So we are talking about Killing Ground, which had its world premiere at the Melbourne International Film Festival last year. And when it's a success at Sundance, a number of other festivals has had been released in a number of countries and is now in cinemas in Australia. It is by Tasmanian Damien Power. It is set in the Australian bushes. It's actually filmed at Macquarie Fields. Now... There are three intersecting stories here, one of a couple, one of whom is played by Harriet Dyer, a family, and two quite nefarious individuals, one both played by Aaron Pedersen and Aaron Glenane. It is quite a brutal shocker. Uh, many people who will see it will be reminded of the films like Wolf Creek. There is not a lot of here that is necessarily new. You'll see a lot of the horror tropes trying to test that have come through. Uh, in the same vein of Wolf Creek, you know, the similar things of the isolation of the Australian bush, which plays a big role. And while this is fairly recognisable horror fair in some ways, I've got to tell you, the innov- there, it was quite innovative in terms of how the time was intersected. But what I've got to say, and the one thing I t- issue I've taken with the film, and we were talking about the Hitman's Bodyguard earlier and how violence in some senses was jarring and played very different to what you might expect. Um, there are some moments in this film which are brutally violent, which are graphically violent, to the extent that it is more jarring and disquieting than it is shocking in the way you would typically want or hope for uh, in uh, what your standard horror fare. So that kind of changes the dynamic of this film. And while I didn't enjoy it as a whole, um, that did have quite an impact. And Glenn is someone who is big on horror films and watches a lot of horror films. So for him to say that the level of violence was quite jarring, I think, means a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, I enjoy horror, but at the same time, there is something to, even in the most horrific of films, to some light-heartedness. Well, not necessarily light-heartedness, but a reprieve. There wasn't a reprieve in this film. This was absolutely unrelenting. I felt like Wolf Creek was similar to that, but Wolf Creek, there was a, I don't know, there was an energy to it. I think when something is so dark and bleak, there's a chance to just check out you know, like you're being pummeled by the film? Did you find that watching Killing Ground? I felt, in a sense, uh, more for me, though, it was just uh, such an extreme compared to all the other things and all the things that came before and after some of these very key events. And I feel, at the same time, we talked about Hitman's Bodyguard, how they got to the end of the and said, wow, this is so tonally distinct from what came before. I feel this um, is an issue with the film. I feel, overall, it's a great picture. I think it's worth seeing. But it does have... As, uh, as a result of that, quite a jarring impact. Um, the other film we are talking about, uh, what we have, the time we have left, is Ali's Wedding, another Australian release for us. Yes, Ali's Wedding, and it won the Audience Award at the Sydney Film Festival. And it is a very interesting film because it's marketed as the very first Muslim rom-com, uh, especially one of the territories in Australia where I think... Uh, a culture which is very misrepresented in the media, so it's a very interesting film to talk about in that sense. It's a very light-hearted, funny film, a genuinely funny film that doesn't try to play up its stereotypes, so in that sense, it's a very interesting dynamic. It's directed by Jeffrey Walker, and it's written by Andrew Knight and Osama Sami, who also is starring in the film as the main protagonist, Ali. So, once again, you see the difference in writing and approach to a subject when the writing and screenplay comes from someone who is part of that community rather than someone extremely trying to force their ideas for humor. So a lot of this, uh, it's a beautiful, simple synopsis where Ali lies about certain events and because of that is caught up in this very interesting turn of events where snowballs into him trying to avoid an arranged marriage versus trying to basically marry the girl that he actually loves. It is basically... 
a better version of the big fake, if we could Ooh, talk about that. I was going to say, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it seems there's a little bit of similarity here. This is clearly a homegrown comedy and has a little bit of the Australian authenticity, it appears, and some of the quirks you can only get from an Aussie picture. I mean, of course, I mean, let's look at the mainstream representations of like Muslim culture, which is, here come the Habibs. So from that, to go to Ali's wedding is very interesting. And I think, you know, much needed. I think um, the big question for me is, will there ever be a film about Indian or Pakistani culture um, in the Western world that isn't about arranged marriages and not and wanting to marry someone that you haven't been arranged to marry? But also, arranged marriages aren't that bad. Oh my God, controversy. But But just, you know, they are quite normal things. They aren't something to be so panicky about i think that's the other thing let's get to the point where arranged marriages are depicted as something quite okay and then we can move past it as if they're not a big thing i don't think we're there yet we're just there at oh my god arranged marriage is a cultural conflict so i think first if enough movies can explore that maybe we can get to a point so ali's wedding is in cinemas now is that correct yes it is in cinemas from tomorrow thursday Tomorrow, Thursday, are fantastic. So we'll be back on Film Fight Club next week. Uh, I think this has been Chris Evans for Up Near and Glenn Falkenstein. Uh, tune in next Wednesday night and enjoy movies. Good night. Have fun. Good night. Good night.